I'm Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal, meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Allison Kane is the founder of Haven's Kitchen, a cooking school and event space in New York City. Allison's journey is so inspiring. In this episode, she gave me the story behind her return to grad school after having five children and how she rose from her own lack of self-confidence to becoming a powerhouse entrepreneur as she continues to grow from her cooking school and event space into building a CPG brand. So you're a tried and true New Yorker. Yes. (laughs) I I love that big smile that comes on your face. I really... This is an amazing town. I mean, every day I, when I am here, yep. I still walk out and think I'm so lucky to Me live too. in this city. Every day. There was a moment when I thought I was a Southerner. It was before I had been to the South. <laughs> I, no, it's true. I went, like, sat my parents down at the end of high school, and I'm like, so I just want you to know I'm going to be in North Carolina for school, and I don't think I'm coming back. And they were like, mm-hmm, okay, like, we'll see ya. And then, I mean, that was it. So I, where did you go to college? I went to Duke. You did go to Duke. And how'd you like Duke? It was a beautiful campus. Uh, yes. It was, It. I think, I don't think it was so much Duke as it was like my relationship with Duke. I was, you know, I went to an all-girls school in New York and I was attracted to sort of like the all-American beer drinking, not having to be sophisticated thing. Because you didn't have it here. Yes, but then when I got there and I realized what that was, you I felt that into it. No, and I, I felt very Jewish, and I felt very New Yorky, and I just felt very out of sync. Interesting. And you stuck yeah. it out for four years. Anyway. Well, here's the story. I failed econ freshman year, first semester, and so I couldn't really transfer to school that I thought was sort of comparable because I had an F on my transcript. <laughs> so I stuck it out. That's hilarious. I can't yeah. believe you failed econ. Yeah, it that wasn't I. I don't feel like that was my fault. <laughs> like there were, I actually had a situation. I went to this all girl school, and I was sort of very much like brought up in the like you can be anything, you can do anything, like use your words. And so I, I wasn't doing very well, and it was one of those like core classes with like three hundred people and a TA. And I went to the TA, and I was like, I don't understand this. I feel like the graph should be going this way, but something I'm missing. And he basically didn't give me the time of day. So I made an appointment with the professor and I finally, I sat down very like, you know, big, like Spence girl. And I was like, I think the TA, I'm missing something. We're not connecting. I would really like your help with this. And he said, sweetheart, at the end of this class, I'm going to have about eight of your classmates to my house for a barbecue. Do you think you're going to be one of them? Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know about the barbecue, but, like, I definitely think I could do better than this. And he was like, I I don't think so. Like, he he just – He just dismissed you. Totally dismissed me. So I went to – there was an arcade at that time in the bottom of the basement of the student center, Mm -hmm. and I played – 
a video game called Off-Road for the rest of the semester. It was awesome. And the thing about Off-Road is you didn't, every time you won, you got a new game. You didn't have to keep putting in quarters. (laughs) So it was like a thing. And that was my, yeah. So when you graduated Duke, where'd you go? I got into my car and drove straight back to New York City and kissed, kissed the ground when I got home. Hilarious. And I think some taxi driver like yelled an obscenity at me, and I was like, "Thank you, yeah. I'm back." You know, hilarious. Yeah. And so, where did you start in terms of your career? What did you major in? I well, I majored in history and religion, double major, but I I was like one credit away from a minor in urban planning, and I got a job when I got home for the 42nd Street Development Project. Very interesting. Doing this and that whole, was an incredible. It development. was amazing. It was the city-state partnership. I had like access to everyone. I gave the Disney guys the tours of the New Amsterdam Theater. I got to work on the marquees, you know, where Jenny Holzer had all the quotes. I had the best job. That's it was incredible. So much fun. I mean, that was, you know, for us who were here during that time mm-hmm. period, people don't remember. Times Square was vile. Vile, yeah. And that was a. Major, major decision. Huge. The city's like, we're yeah. going to fix Times Square. And I had the best boss in the world, Rebecca Robertson, and she was amazing. Like, I still look back and had an incredible thing. Incredible. And thing. how many years did you stay there? I was there for four years. And then Rebecca was actually, this is how dated I am, like, was moving on to go work on the 2012 Olympic bid. So it was like 1992. Six or 1998, I guess. Um, and I had my first baby, and I just took my <laughs> foot out of everything. And, and you got off the train. Got off the train. And you had how many children? Five. I always want to say four because I can't get over that you have five. I know. <laughs> it's crazy to me that you had five. Yeah. Well, you're a single child. I am. So, you know, obviously there was a reason you felt you yes. needed to have five children. That's a whole other podcast. Right. That's, <laughs> like, that's like me and my yeah therapist podcast. So, so, <laughs> so you went to have five children. Yes. In eight years. In eight years? Mm -hmm. In eight years. And then you found yourself? Well, I guess what happened was I was always, I always cooked. I loved cooking. I started cooking when I was nine. I made Thanksgiving. It was my way of like getting my parents to come to the table, getting friends over. I was an only child, so it was my way of like luring people to my house. I cooked all through college. I had all these dinner parties and parties. Self-taught. Totally self-taught, yeah. I mean, like galloping gourmet taught, totally. you know, like yeah. TV taught. Yeah, or silver palate taught. Silver palate for sure taught. <laughs> that, you know that's my favorite cookbook, I know right? it is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, that's so weird that you know that about me. Um, and I, you know, there was a moment where I thought I would love to have like a sandwich shop, you know, or some sort of silver palate-esque type of shop. Because you love the food. But I had a lot of babies, and everyone that I knew was like, please don't do retail. It's a nightmare. Don't do that. Well, retail is bad, and, but food is worse. Yeah. I mean, it didn't even occur to me that I could be a chef or, like, be on a line of any – like, I wouldn't I – didn't, it didn't even occur to me to go to culinary school. That just – I knew one – woman who went to culinary school and her father actually like staged an intervention (laughs) to get everyone to try to stop her from going to culinary school. She ended up having an incredible career, but I, it didn't, it just didn't, it wasn't even a thought. Right. Um, and I guess when my youngest was going back, was going to nursery school, 
I thought, okay, I want to go back to school. I, I love food. I had a few options. There was public health, there was nutrition, and there was this random program at NYU called Food Studies. Um, or there was like trying to be a, like a night weekend student at culinary school. And why did you choose to go back to education versus just like jumping into something? Did you think that was the right path for you? In I order didn't to think I was qualified to do. to do anything. I mean, that's the honest answer. That's amazing. It's the truth. After having five children yeah. going to Duke and you didn't think you were qualified to do anything. Yep. So I figured that if I had a degree, then I would be qualified to do something. Right. And I didn't know what it was. I knew I didn't want to be a nutritionist because I really like alcohol and cheese and gluten and all those fads. I like it all. Right. I knew I didn't want to do public health because as much as I enjoyed my work at 42nd Street, there was a lot I learned about the way that policy works. Mm -hmm. And it it's frustrating. It's frustrating, and I didn't think I was really you had the right my mentality sweet spot. for it. I think so, you have to have a really yeah. s- kind of constitution for that. Yeah, and I thought that you know there was this program, and it was sort of like half anthropology, half food policy, some food systems, like agriculture. It was just kind of this hodge, like hodgepodge of fun things. So I started that. Um, which changed my life for sure. So was it a two-year program? Was it, it was a, a two-year program? program that took me six years. Um, well, you did have five children. I did. I also started a business year three, I guess. So, so and you got divorced. Yes. Okay. That so all happened. That all happened at the same time, mm-hmm. which is a major event because now you're responsible for five children, a hundred percent. Yes. And so you started this. Yeah, so what ended up happening was I started school, again, Jenny Berg, best advisor anyone could ever hope for. I meet with her sort of my first week of class, and I'm very earnest, and, you know, I've finally figured out where the buildings are, and I have an ID card, which took me, like, a long time. I mean, these kids knew how to – there were computer programs for writing bibliographies, like when I had been in school last, everything was on a note card. Of course. And you made a, like a, you know, and then yeah. you put them in the order on the floor and then you, you know. Yeah, and then you erase them if they were wrong. Exactly. <laughs> so Jenny said, um, so, you, you know, you need to get an internship for the master's program. And I like literally was like um, an internship. Yeah. Like I, who's hiring me for an internship? I'm not even available. Like this is a stretch. Right. She was like, oh, y'all find something. Y'all find something. Do you know this story? No. So I I was like scouring the email listserv for internship opportunities. And there was the head of the education station at the Union Square Green Market. And I was like, oh, I can do that. Perfect. I can teach kids. I I can drop my kids at school. I can go down. I can give a few tours, and I can be uptown. It's in my wheelhouse. It's my comfort zone. So I show up at my interview. I write, you know, a letter to the woman hosting the thing, and I don't really have a resume, but I did work 16 years ago or whatever it is. And I have five kids, and I planned the school carnival. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got Providence. You don't whatever. need a Yeah, I, I don't agree. know what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I worked at the library, and um, I organized the Blue Room Party. 
and she we met at um, cafeteria or no mm-hmm. not a ca- at coffee shop right okay. at Union Square, which is now gone, which is now gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, "So you have five kids?" That was how she opened the interview, and I said yes. And she reached into her bag and gave me the keys to the van, <laughs> and she was like, "You have the job." She didn't ask me one other question. That's amazing. That was it. And afterward, I I run into her every now and then. I'm like, that was just like the most amazing experience. She said, can I tell you how many people I went through for that job? I knew you weren't like a flight risk. Like I knew you had kids and you knew how to be a grown up. And And you you knew what you were doing. You were going to lock up the van and you were going to show up and give the tours. That's all I cared about. And like you were good. So it was amazing. So I had, you know... I had all of these kids, whether like from three to 18, every walk of life, every type of school coming through. I gave three to five tours three times a week. You got to know everybody at the Green Market. I got to know everyone at the Green Market. And what I started doing was I had always been sort of teaching friends and friends of friends cooking at home. I do the same. And I started bringing them on the tours and then I started to the tours, like all of the teachers and the grownups with the kids were like, okay, this is beautiful, but what do I do, what with, do, it? I do with it? Right. And so I started sending recipes out to all the people on the tours. So I started seeing that there was this opportunity to kind of combine the cooking with like the green market experience, which is not, you know, every other country in the world has some version of that. Yeah. You know, we just didn't. In New York. Right. I mean, you know, you can go into uh, a, a beautiful deli in Italy and they'll tell you how to make it. Totally. Yeah. And you can go, you can sign up for a thing in Liguria and go to some woman's house and go to the market with her and then go back and she makes lunch and you drink wine and you learn how to totally. do a few things. And so that was my plan. I was just going to have a little kitchen near the green market and I would take people to the market, we would make lunch, and then I would go home. And then I found this building, and the building was beautiful. And that was the beginnings. Yes. And everyone's like, no, please don't do that. (laughs) But it made sense. I mean, it was a bigger idea. Yes. But you were sort of got carried away. I'm fortunate that it ended up making sense. The plan as it was written was not was ambitious. I expected three cooking classes a day. You know, I thought, I mean, I had a whole different. Well, no business becomes what you think it's going to become. And I didn't know that there was such a thing as a, you know, a press dinner or an an event activation or, you know, I didn't think people would want to get married there. I had no idea. Right. So yes, I went, I hounded this landlord (laughs) And he called me the cooking school lady, which he still calls me because mm-hmm. he can't believe that this you whole can thing actually happened. make money and pay I know, rent. Exactly. Um, and he was like, listen, all right, you know, I'll give you a year. You do all the work. I'm not putting a dollar in and I'll give you a pretty good rent and you get an 11 year lease and, you know, let's see That's how it goes. Happens. So you have this beautiful space mm-hmm. where the front you can like have breakfast, mm-hmm. buy products. Everything's super duper healthy. In the back, in the ground floor is an incredible kitchen. Yep. You've got these beautiful stairs, and yep. you've got a room in the back and a room in the front. And it's an amazing space yeah. for a variety of different yeah. things. And then the third floor yes, is just the this third massive floor. loft. Right, which is and incredible. And that's, that's where it actually, things turned into, like, positive. 
So day one, you open this thing, and I'm assuming you're not doing these tours anymore once you're into this whole... No, I was I was doing them as a part of my... I was teaching at my school that I opened, and I was doing the tours as part of my classes. Got it. So it was, it was almost like that you could do in Europe. Yes, exactly. We would have a latte. We would talk about what's like in season, how we're going to go to the market, what we're looking for in terms of like color and texture and flavor, and then we would go... And what did you find as this business came on? Is that you needed to do more than just teach some cooking oh, classes to make the rent? Yes, that's that's what I found. What actually happened was this was kind of amazing. Our like before I even opened, I get a call from a couple named Derek and Abigail, and Derek is unfortunately they had their wedding was planned for a, a year later, and his father was very ill. And he said, we live in the neighborhood. I don't know what you're opening, but it looks like you can accommodate our, um, our rehearsal party or mm-hmm. rehearsal dinner. There are going to be 150 people. And it was literally January 29th or something. And we opened the 18th. Um, and I need you to make it happen. Because my father's going to die. Because my father's going to die. And I was like, Derek, I don't even know if we're going to be open. And he kept saying, "You're, it's like you're trying to get me to break up with you, but I'm sticking. <laughs> like you're." And I kept saying, so finally he was like, listen, if it's not open, you'll just do it somewhere. And I'm like, okay, I'll find a place. I don't know. So we took on the party, which was ridiculous because we didn't have – do you have enough people? No, I mean, I anything? found caterers. I was serving. I had everyone I knew. I mean, we, the food was great because I hired a great, really great young woman who was new to like she she had been working at per se, but this was her first single gig. Right. She now has a great restaurant in Nashville that she's all over magazines on. So she did great. So the food was great. The service was okay. We figured it out. But we, but our first month enough, nobody was any positive. Like, we made money. Like, and you're like, oh, that wedding yep. thing. <laughs> I was like, huh, this is how we're going to make money. And so the events really just automatically became the thing. And then a year later, we got the third floor, and that just changed all the numbers. Everything. Which was great. And so, and, and at the same time, you were started to teach at NYU. I, yeah. Well, first I had to graduate from NYU. Right, which and, took you six years. Yes. It took me six years. And then I got a call. I love that you continue to be focused to graduate. Oh, I loved school so much. <laughs> I love it so much. I, I mean, that's why I'm loving what I'm doing now, because I feel like I'm in CPG school. I really do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. It's so much fun. So you finished school. So I finished school. And again, well, before I finish school, I sit down with Jenny again, my advisor. And she's like, listen, we have a class, something, it's just not clicking. It's a core class. It's like 75 freshmen. Something's not working. We can't seem to find the right fit. I think you'd be good to teach it. And I was like, that means I get to stay in school. Like I get to stay at NYU. Definitely. I'm definitely doing that. So... I did that first semester. Did you love um, it? I loved it. It's a lot of work. It was so much work. I mean, yeah, it was it was amazing. It was just I was grading a lot of papers, and I really I wanted them to do the reading, and the only way that I could make sure that they were really reading was if they were writing about it. And I had a TA, but Still, you know, we divided the labor. It you was probably fun. liked your TA more than the one you did Duke. Um, definitely. Right. He's great. And so at what point did you decide, I'm going to make a cookbook? Oh, that was somewhere in there. That was somewhere yes. in there. Um, let's see. I believe you were doing the cookbook while you were teaching. 
Yes, I think so because I, which is fabulous cookbook. Oh, thank you. And what's the name of the book cookbook again? Cooking school. It's like Haven's Kitchen. Haven's cooking. Haven's Kitchen cooking school, Mm -hmm. which is a great book. It's very basic and simple, and teaches you the fundamentals and the foundation of simple ways that you can build on your repertoire. I mean, because it all comes down to confidence. Yes, you know, it's who needs another. You got to make the turn. Everything. I don't ski, but yes, you gotta that, make the I'm turn. sure if I did, that would make sense to but me. You got to make the turn. So right. you, at the same time, put out this cookbook, yes, which the is cookbook fabulous. came out in April of 2017. Okay, it was really, it was just a really fun. It was the cookbook that I wish I had had. You know, it's basically like you've got this. You know how to do this, like skiing or swimming or tying your shoe. The difference is, is that for some reason. People think cooking should be intuitive and, you know, there are elements to it that are like if you like to eat, but there's a lot to it that's just, you just got to repeat and Mm -hmm. learn and it's practice and skill. Totally. And I think the dread and fear of it gets in the way of people enjoying it. And if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do it. Agreed. I mean, it's interesting. I've gone to help friends um, learn how to cook and all of the ones that I've helped who now cook, mm-hmm. have said, I thought I was going to kill somebody. Yeah. I thought like right. if I didn't cook it right, someone would die. Yeah. And um, you also have to enjoy it. I mean, I could spend right. 10 hours in the kitchen and be the happiest human well, being. Well, I think also you like food. I mean, I like food, but I right. find it almost med- meditative, meditative mm-hmm. to be in the kitchen. I mean, it's a really Because you trust process. your instincts, because you know who you are and you know what you like. Yes. And that's the thing. We don't teach, like at Haven's Kitchen, it's very important to me, we don't give out a recipe at the beginning of class. There are no recipes. You're not standing there with a piece of paper going back and forth, making sure that you've put in a teaspoon instead of a tablespoon of cumin, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't like cilantro, don't put it in. Right. If you, you know, if you don't, if you want it rough chopped instead of finely chopped mazel tov, like do your thing. We'll send you the recipes after. The whole point is like getting to the place where you know that you're allowed to turn down the heat a little bit, even though it says medium high. You don't need to follow the recipe. No. You know, trust your gut. And that's the thing. How do you know? How do you know what gut to trust if you haven't had any exposure to it? Right. You know. Completely. And that's that's kind of what we have done. To do. But through this process, you've actually realized that there are some great basic foundations of cooking. Yes. It could be a tomato sauce, mm-hmm. or um, you know, harissa, or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And so you started playing with those recipes. Yes. Basically, two things happened sort of at the same time. One is that. I realized that I'm I'm kind of a hippie at heart and I'm sort of like a slow slow and steady wins the race kind of gal. Listen, slow and steady does win the race. Yes. That being said, in New York City in the brick and mortar hospitality retail business, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no there's there are two sides of things. There's my spending and then there's what people are paying. My spending just has to continue to go up and people are getting more and more accustomed to paying less for quality because of fast casual and Amazon and yada, yada, yada. So between labor and rent and just like the cost of, I want my team to have great health insurance and that goes up every year. So all of that sort of led me to sort of a realization that even though 
I didn't necessarily need to go out and be like raising gazillions of dollars to build the next fill in the blank. I did need to have some growth. So that was like, okay, that's interesting. Now I need to think about that. Yeah. Real and, and growing the brand and growing, growing the business and growing the opportunities for my team and myself. And it can't, it's not a dry cleaner. It's not going to, it can't stay the same forever. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was Haven's Kitchen being the umbrella. Haven's Kitchen being the umbrella. So that was one piece of it. And then the other piece of it was really everyone, you know, we teach thousands of people a year. And a lot of them say, I know how to grill a steak or roast some sweet potatoes. But the thing that I learned in class, that sauce, that was the thing that like made it really good. And that's the thing that I had to like fix my Cuisinart or chop a lot of garlic or go buy a piece of lemongrass and I didn't know what to do with the rest of it. Or All I don't of have that. time. And I don't have time, you know? So those two things kind of kind of happened at the same time in my brain where I thought, okay, mm. well, if I can make this thing that will actually get more people cooking, that saves them time, but is as delicious as what they can make themselves or what they can make here... And I can build that part of the business, and eventually that's the thing that scales. And then this becomes sort of a part of that. That's interesting. Then there's a real business. So now you're in the CPG business. Yes. (laughs) Which is a crazy business. Do you know my idea for a board game? Did I tell you? No, what's your idea for a board game? I just think it would be the best board game. Very self-selecting audience for this. Like, not a lot of people would buy it. But (laughs) I think the people that did would be really into it. Somewhere like a cross between like Clue, like in the library with the axe, Professor Uh Plum, but like you're in Walmart, (laughs) kind of, but like you're like a refrigerated beverage, you know, you are a shelf stable cookie, you are and like, and you have a different color for each product Mm -hmm. thing and you get different sort of, uh oh, you know, recall or like (laughs) your truck got stuck, like and each different kind of category has different challenges yeah. and assets. I like it. It could be like a Sim City product. A little bit. Yeah. I feel like it could be at Expo West and it could just be like this board game booth and it would be a very insider kind very, of It's very, very funny. I but think it's a good idea. Be, yeah. Um, Thank you. In and my next in, when in I your have next some life time. when yeah. you have some time. <laughs> exactly. And so you're starting the CPG, which yeah. is I think is, you know, honestly of all the businesses that I have invested in, um, and so many verticals, I think that CPG is the most difficult. Um, Reason being that as much as we want to believe that um, everyone is shopping online, in the grocery world, 97% of the people still walk in the grocery. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you are relying on these grocery stores and buyers that are still living in 1940. That was the best part of the Chobani Incubator because I was so, probably like every other founder, I was so focused on the consumer The consumer needs this. The consumer understands this, speaking directly to them, marketing to them. And the Chobani team got me to think about the customer. And and who is that dairy buyer? Because I'm a dairy product, even though I'm vegan. Like I'm a vegan sauce in a pouch that gets bought by the same guy that buys dairy. Right. Right. What are his needs? Forget about like the consumer for a second. What can I give to him? It's filling something on the shelf that no one else has. And, you know, are, you know, there's a race to the bottom 
in a lot of the dairy. I mean, dairy's abysmal right now, right? So even though it might be like turning more, a, a yogurt is a dollar ninety nine, or you know, and they're always on promo. You know, I'm in a category that I think like twenty percent of the time is on promo. So even though it might be a little bit, you I know, hate the promo. I know. But the but the promo is all about the store, right? Everything's it's all about like, the store. It's all about the buyer. Right. Yeah. Well, they've all trained the CPG products over the years right. to be on promo during the period of time that is the biggest buying period. Right. So Gen I sell B. hot dogs, <laughs> but during July fourth is right. when you're going to have the promo, which is the time. Not yes. to have the promo. I know. So it makes zero sense. That, and you I, need yeah. to come to the stores and feed all the people. Totally. Because, of course, you can be all over the country on one Saturday. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're going to pay for it. You're going to show up. Yep. And, um, and that is going to affect your margin, but it totally. doesn't affect my margin no. as the store. You know what the thing is, though? I feel like at the beginning... That was so infuriating to me. And I was very hopeful. I was like, no, you know, with digital media and Instagram, the consumers will be banging down the door and the buyers (laughs) will have no choice but to put my product and make sure that I'm like completely like refilled every time it goes out of stock. Which is going to happen daily. Which like (laughs) is the biggest ridiculous, like, you know, that's not how it happens. But I think that now that I understand the rules of engagement, Mm -hmm. I don't feel frustrated by it anymore. At the beginning, I was like, why, 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 why? This is, you want me to buy an ad in your circular? Like, does anyone read your circular? Who's, don't you guys know? But that's not the point. They know no one's reading the circular. They don't care. They don't care. It's just cash for them. Literally. Great. Okay. Now that I know that, I kind of know how to budget for it and I know how to hire for it and I know what I need and I'm not deluding myself into thinking that somehow having a lot of Instagram followers is going to translate into dairy buyers making sure that I have no slots that aren't completely filled, right? right? That's my job. And that, I mean, I, you know. So you've, you're, you are prag- you're pragmatic. Well, I think two things. I think I'm pragmatic, but I've also realized, okay, if now I know that my trade spend is, is what it is, then I have to be super, super, super careful on my other spend and like make sure that my margins actually make sense. Because I think what happens to a lot of us is like we, we get into this cycle where we're selling a lot of product and we feel really good and it's working, but we're just, we have no working capital. So right. people just keep having to raise money and dilute and raise money and dilute. So I wrote about that today. Oh, you did? I did. And I, uh, I have a really good friend, one of my best friends, and um, him and his wife have a company that is a huge company at mm-hmm. this point. And, you know, debt financing mm-hmm. is something that... You can almost do up to $15 million. Anything over that is really hard. Right. And it makes no sense for you to take out money that would dilute your equity right. when all you're doing with this money is creating product. Right. It's one thing to take out equity to hire right. and build your infrastructure, right. which makes sense, right. but not with debt. And so, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people in government, particularly in New York City, of course, about... They want to have funds that perhaps follow on with VC funds that are investing in something they're committed to, be it females or whatever. Right. That's cool. But the reality is they're not getting into the good deals. Right. No. 
They're getting into the shit deals. Yes. And so why don't they create a fund for people that get paper? So if you get an order, mm-hmm. a $20 million order that has to fund Target over a six-month period, why can't they give you that money? Have it being, um, you know, like, what is it? The banks is FDIC. Right. That we're going to give her the approval. She sees the order. It's actually legit. Right. We're going to give you the money and we're going to take 3%. Right. Which is low, but still good. Can you start that? Can you just do but that? But the government should do that. Yeah, they should. And then they but, can you know. make that money right. instead of another way instead of taxes. Right. And they're doing good for their state. They're doing good for people. And they've got the capital yeah. to do it. No, um, that's great. I mean, that would be amazing. It would be. It doesn't make sense to right. me that no one is in that business. I I agree. It also. I mean, I can't even get that kind of debt financing no, until I'm at like to, eight million in sales. Correct. Right. You, well, you know, I mean, the thing about CPG is that most of it is being invested in by private equity people who want you to hit eight to ten million dollars in sales. Right. Now, some have gone a little earlier because they understand they're going to help the brand. Right. If in fact the brand is that sticky, but the reason they do that is because they know at eight to ten million dollars you become profitable. Right. I'm going to be profitable earlier than that. Fantastic. That's my plan. I think based on what you've done the last couple of years, I'm going to put my money on you. Thanks. But um, <laughs> it is a very interesting business. It's, yeah. And, you know, I think it's like, it's like, I don't know, we were, this is such a non sequitur, but have you watched Sergeim? It's like an Israeli drama on the Yes Network, and it's got subtitles, and it's like Friends meets drama in Hebrew and it's uh, this is funny and I and as an outsider to like the orthodox community in Jerusalem you think there is an orthodox community in Jerusalem then when you kind of get closer to it you all of a sudden start to see actually there are three or five different communities within that community and then when you go even closer you know it's like you get closer up to it and you start to see so similar to CPG I sort of thought there's this world of pack, you know, consumer packaged goods, and I'm going to learn everything I can about it. Mm-hmm. But then now that I've gotten closer to it, I'm like, oh, wait, every category has a different story. For sure. Hummus has a completely different route to market than a category that doesn't exist like mine. Completely. Right? Shelf stable. I mean, even the people that can do direct to consumer, they can... They can do things on Amazon I'm never going to be able to do. That's right. And so then each little thing becomes like, ooh, you know, wanting to learn more about that. And like the closer I get to each thing, the more I see that there are these different... It's not that easy. It's not. It's not that easy. No. But for anyone is that going into doing a CPG project, this is like great advice. Yeah. No, I, you know, I have a podcast. Yes, I do. I do. And it's literally like... About that, yeah. that space. Well, because people will be like, so you just do an OI. And I'm like, what is that? You know, I mean, I really get them down to like the nitty gritty. Because Which is amazing. No one knows this stuff. No one, unless you take a deep dive into right. it. Right. So if you're in New York. Yes. Go to Haven's Kitchen. Yes, come to Haven's Kitchen. And it's like, it's like being in your own home kitchen. It's so nice. Thank you. Well, thank you yeah. for coming. Thanks for having me. Sure. It was fun. Thank you so much to Allison for joining me on the podcast this week. I highly recommend you check out Haven's Kitchen if you are in New York City and at havenskitchen.com where you can find Allison's cookbook and all of her delicious sauces for sale.